Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, today in my studio, I am joined by Christine Rudman. She doesn't really need any introduction because she's been around as a sort of a wine industry expert for as long as I can remember. Christine is a Cape wine master. She is a top, top judge, panelist, consultant. She is a taster for John Platter. And she's one of my favorite people, which is why I'm giving her a ring to say, let's shoot the breeze for Christmas. Let's bring everybody up to date on competitions. John Platter, which we've dealt a little bit with, with Michael Fridge on, and anything else that comes to mind. So, Christine, welcome to Carrie's Corner. Thanks for joining me. Well, pleasure to be here, Carrie. I just heard from you that it's a bit of a dismal, rainy, cold, dank, dark Cape Town. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very chilly. You can't go out in a t-shirt and this is December. So it, I mean, I love colder weather anyway, but yes. you know, one has to think about the fruit people. Yes. Um, and the, the vines supposed to be ripening. So yes. we actually do need some heat. We need some fairly stable summer weather. Mm. So hopefully that's going to come. Well, I but can, who knows? <laughs> I can tell you, we're getting beautiful rains in Harting, which is seasonal for us and it's just the right thing that should be happening. And it sort of happens every night, which is my favorite thing to lie in bed and listen to the rain. But it's also not, with the exception of a little hot burst that we had last week, it it also has not been particularly hot here. So do you think our summers are getting cooler? Well, you know, we had a, a drought for those four years and we had really unseasonably, if you like, warm weather. Mm. So I like the fact that it's it's now, it's raining, it's cool, because that gives flavor development. Yes. But I just wouldn't want this to continue. I'm hoping that it's just an extended, like, you know, winter, spring, yes. um, and that it's now going to start becoming warm. Well, maybe, so, maybe the weather. You, you never know with weather. You never. Maybe, maybe the weather's got long COVID as well, and it's just sort of trying to get itself out. <laughs> <laughs> Christine, you are. You're an industry expert when it comes to competitions and judging, and I know that. For us, it's quite easy to walk into a liquor store or a pick and pay or a spa or a somewhere and look down the line of wines and decide what we'd like to have. But it's not that easy for the guy who doesn't live, eat, drink, breathe, walk, talk wine. Competitions are controversial to say the least because the competition can only express what has been the best of what has been entered. You are involved in a couple of competitions and in a couple of tastings. In your estimation, what stickers should wine drinkers, listeners, what have you, what stickers should they look for and place any store by in South Africa? Okay, that, that's a hard one. And, and you did tell me beforehand that you're going to be talking about competitions. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a reality check here. Um, producers have limited budgets. They enter the competitions that they think will do best for their wines. 
and they don't have enough money to enter everything. So obviously they're going to enter the biggies, but they're also going to enter perhaps specialized ones where they've got a wine in their range that they're very proud of and they would like to have a sticker on that bottle. Because I think when a consumer walks into, well, when the public walks into a supermarket or bottle store, um, you know, it's in your nature to be attracted to the one that's got the most stickers of on course, it. Of course, of course. Because that says, you know, I was judged and, and presumably by some experts and they rated this wine very highly. So there is a value in stickers. There's a value in competitions. They send a message out there about quality. Yes, yes, of course. And the the platter guide, which you've been involved in as a taster for many, many years. I Since think, 2003, in fact. Gosh, it's a long time. I think that platter... 20 years, yeah. Yeah, it's fabulous. I think that platter is a very meaningful guide. I've been all over the world, as have many of us, and I don't think that there is another country, wine-producing country, in the world that offers... Um, a missive quite as extensive and comprehensive as the John Platter Guide. Do you agree? No, I absolutely agree, because it's not just a listing, it's actually an evaluation of the wines. Yes. And and I don't know whether this is common knowledge, um, but the taster that tastes that producer gets rotated every three years. So you can't fall in love with somebody's wines yes. or or not understand them and rubbish them, because in three years' time, another taste is going to have a chance to yes. fix any mistakes that you made. And yes. presumably, you know, Philip Finsell is now experienced enough not to have tastes that make too many whoopses. Yes. So I, I think it's a very good guide for somebody who doesn't really know a hell of a lot about what wines we produce. And Carrie, there are over 8,000 wines listed. Who can possibly know them all? I know. You know, so I it's know. a very good guide. And Christine, just walk us through the process of tasting for platter because it's not just as easy as everybody okay. thinks. I mean, so, Philip runs a fantastic ship and you all do a brilliant job. Tell us how it happens. Well, there are only 13 of us. You know, if you think that we taste <laughs> approaching 8,000 yeah. wines, but we do it from let's say, the middle of June until about the end of August, middle of September. Yes. Um, and, and people like me who don't have a job or dependence can taste seven days a week. Yes. I, I really admire those that have got families or jobs, but they, they're fitted in. You know, you, you, you end up being quite disciplined. Yes. So what happens with what happened with COVID is that the, the wines are delivered to your home. In fact, they're always delivered to your home. But with COVID, we had to be very careful about delivery dates and, and also yes. follow the restrictions because there were some. It was a four-week period where no wines could be delivered. Yes. So deliver to your home and you taste at your leisure. You get two bottles in case one's caught. Yes. And what you have to do is to write your tasting notes and then submit those notes onto a dedicated website. It's brilliantly designed. It really is so state-of-the-art. Right. And that goes straight into um, the database from which the book is printed. Good heavens. Um, and Philip does the editing. If he thinks that you've written too much or too little, he does the editing, and that becomes the book. The star rating is very um, – it's set out in a def- definite way. Yes. You can't give a wine um, – you know, a five-star, because that can only happen in the five-star tasting. Yes. But you give points of what you think that wine is worth. Yes, and um, you obviously and, and can put record. your recommendations forward for five stars, can you? Oh, yes, definitely. You do that by score. Yes. So anything with, with 93 or over goes into the five-star tasting. 95, if you give a wine 95 out of 100, 
it basically means that you think that wine is worth a five star. But okay. the tasters who taste the wine in the five star tasting might not agree with you. Yes. So that that is another uh, uh, part of the check and balance yes. that Philip has put in. Yes. You know, you so, can fall in love with somebody's wine and actually in comparison with the others at that school level, it might actually just not shape up. So exactly. it's a really important check and balance that he's yes. put into the thing. Yes. And Christine, how many Carrie, farms... I just want to make one point. Could I look... Can I quickly make a yes, of point? Course. I, I was astonished because I read, I read through the press release that, that Philip put out. Mm. Um, this has been two years of COVID. Yes. The 2022 book which is, I think, about to hit the shelves, had 36 new producers. Wow. What? That is hectic. Exactly. Now, you would have thought that that COVID would inhibit people from going into the wine industry. Yes. 36 new ones. Unbelievable. That is interesting. As regards your farms that you taste for, how many do you taste for in any given year? Oh. (laughs) Um, um, Over 100. No, for platters. For platters. Yes. So how many, platter, how many does Philip assign, assign to you? Over 100? Well, oh no, well over 100. Oh they don't God. all materialize because, uh, um, for example, this year, a few just didn't send in any wines. Okay. And that could have been because they still had stock left from last year's production, yes. or it could be they've just decided to go on hold. You know, the smaller producers, I think, just didn't have any resilience. Yes. They didn't, miskin have uh, cash flow and, and like they're just mm. sitting and waiting until things get back to normal. Mm. So not everybody sends in wines, but, um, but well over a hundred that I get every year. Oh, yeah. God. So you, you are assessing wines for over a hundred producers and some of them can have up to upwards of 20 different labels. <laughs> I mean, that is a hectic job. The, the, the listing for Robertson Winery is 85. Oh, my word. No, that so, is So, you know, some of the bigger producers have a lot of wine. There is no amount of money that anyone could pay you that would be commensurate with the amount of work that goes into that. I can say that as a taster myself. That is a hectic amount of work to do. So kudos to you and all of the 13 of you who do that. And then, so you have a continual rotational sort of a thing. So you might just be starting to fall in love with Bosch and Dahl and Philip gives that to Winnie Bowman and you get Tantini. Well, after three years, yeah, it moves on to somebody else. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's a clever but way I mean, of doing it. I mean, to go back to your previous point, you, you can only do this if you love it. Yes. Not about the money. It's like a journalist, you know. You write because you really enjoy it, not because you make money out of it. So I fell in love with wine a long time ago. Tell us. Um, Tell us your story and your love affair. Come, tell it to us. Okay, so I came came down uh, to the Cape to join Cinema Farmers Winery in their marketing department in the late 70s. Realized I really didn't know very much about wine. I was making a fool of myself. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in the Cape Wine Academy and, um, you know, eventually ended up running it. I fell in love with wine. Yes. And, and especially this industry at the moment, because I think it has become so innovative, so creative. Yeah. White blends. Look what's happened to Shannon. Oh, aren't the you white know, there blends are gorgeous? Things on the market that are mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So you left Stellenbosch Farmers Winery and you actually ended up running the Cape Wine Academy very successfully. As the second principal, yeah. Yes, for a few years. 
And then you fell in love with something or somebody else in the meantime, didn't you? Because for those of you who don't know, Christine had the most wonderful husband called Theo Rudman. Who could not know about Theo? Uh, did you meet him in Cape Town? Yeah, and we got married after meeting. We knew each other for four months and we got married. It was one of those things. It was just a yes decision. Oh, how brilliant was that? But I left I left the Cape Wine Academy because Theo got sick. He got cancer and I decided to spend whatever time he had left with him Yes. So I took early retirement, came home, and, and the work just walked through the door. It was incredible. I was offered the, the platter gig. I was offered Wine of the Month Club. I was offered writing gigs. Yes. It, it was just – so I was working from home, which was just ideal. Ah, and, and absolutely deservedly so. I mean, you really are an asset to our industry, so I can completely understand why the jobs came flying in the door. And sadly, we had to say goodbye to Theo. I was trying to remember how long ago it was that he did actually pass away. 2004. It's a long time. It is a long time, isn't it? So we said goodbye to Theo, and you have just gone from strength to strength in your capacity as journalist, taster, wine lover, mother of the industry. There are a couple of us that sort of look after all the news and the olds and the in-betweens. And you are just amazing. You consult to a couple of farms as well, don't you? Yeah, I do. And, of course, you'll never get given those to taste for platter, I'm quite sure. No, you have to recuse yourself. Yes. So they, they try very hard not to have any outside influence. And, and if you happen to be friendly, for example, with a wine producer, I was offered Villafonte. Yes. But, but uh, you know, Zelma and Phil are personal friends and I had to refuse it. Unfortunately, I would never have so you refused have to that. Do that. I would you have, have told to have integrity a about this. I would have told a fib, Christine. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> How fabulous that they were awarded that, that unbelievable accolade from the International Wine and Spirits Board in London. Um, yes. I just think Michael and Zelma and Phil have done incredibly well. We can be very proud of that little property. Yes. Christine, moving on, um, we've had a lot to deal with in the last two years. Do you see the wine industry changing as a result of COVID? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because one of the things that I picked up was a great deal more online activity than we've ever had before. Yes. I think everybody woke up and realized you don't have to have people walking through your tasting room, you know, or coming to visit your, your cellar. You can actually market to them. You can have a relationship with them online, social media, you know, websites. And that became really active. So I think we woke up to an opportunity perhaps we'd been a bit complacent about. So that I think will now never change. We've we've actually learned something here. Yes. Um, I think also selling online and taking orders for later delivery has become a, a, a really clever marketing um, offer opportunity. Yes. So they'll probably carry on doing that as well. I did notice that a lot of the farms, and, and we spent a lot of our career in the industry um, trying to teach the wineries how to become a little bit marketing savvy. And look, some of them really are, but a lot of them yes. are so creative and so hell-bent on their, on their art and their craft that – Marketing really does get put onto the back burner. So I agree with you on that marketing score. But you know what I think is so fascinating is 
as you say, the online selling bit. Mm. There's mm. been an absolute burgeoning of sales that have gone, yes. and the farmers have been forced to put together their own online selling tools, which is very good for yes. them. And it's yes. it's good for well, it's good for many things. It's good for the courier companies because I think they're all getting a lot more work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not so good for old retail such as we knew it, is it? No, um, and and not so good for um, some of the smaller producers who perhaps weren't so marketing savvy. Yes, and and didn't wake up in time. I, I think. You, you know, the jury's still out on how much damage there's been done in the industry. Yes. But I, there's definitely damage. Yeah. You know, lost sales, yeah. lost opportunities. Yeah. Um, and, and, and loss of loyalty from the consumer. So yes. all of that's going to come out in the wash, I think, at some stage. Some wonderful stories for people to write, including yes. Michael Fridjohn, who'd be brilliant at this kind of story. Yes. But how much damage the industry has actually suffered yeah. as a result of these last two years? Well, I saw that Richard Rushton had actually posted something on Twitter yesterday or today. Um, for those who don't know Richard Rushton's being the top potato at Distill. And um, he posted a thing to say, come on, everybody, let's just get the hell out there and get vaccinated for better or for worse, whether we believe in it or not. Mm. And let's just do it and get on with it. Do you agree with that? No, completely. There's a wonderful Afrikaans expression, a boon market plan. <laughs> yes. and, and, and this and, and this wine industry has had lots of, uh, you know, bad things happen to it. I mean, we had sanctions, we had all this stuff. We haven't had the best government support. So, so and well, somehow we've best? managed to be no resilient. Support. Thank you, Kerry. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> no government but, support. But we're, re- we're resilient. We're yeah. resilient. We just get on and we do it and we work damn hard. Mm. Um, and, and so I have faith in the industry. Yes, but you know, you you can't make up for lost sales, for example. No, um, and you can't revive a business when suddenly you know the consumer doesn't believe in you anymore. No. So there's damage. There's damage, which we'll see. There's massive damage, and I think I think that for the entire industry, from the cork producers to the printers, the foil makers, the bottle. I mean, console have had their own challenges as a result of it. SA Brewery exactly. has massive challenges. And then, of course, loads of us who employ people, we've, we've all really battled and struggled to keep people working because there's not been a huge amount of money forthcoming from government to help pay wages. So I think the damage is, mm-hmm. the collateral damage is, is huge. But on the bright side, we've got 36 newcomers to the Platter Guide, which means that people haven't lost faith altogether. And mm. I think that we also, the next question I wanted to ask you is your opinion on the newcomers to the industry. We've got a, a whole bunch of young boys and girls who are producing, I think, exciting, clean, fresh, innovative new wines. What do you think about them? Oh, yeah. Th- that is the most impressive thing that you find if you taste for a guide like Platter. Um, and I also taste on uh, one of the month club where we taste 80 wines every two weeks on a Monday night. Yes. So you, and afterwards you get given a list of what you tasted. So you're perpetually being not confronted, but you're perpetually aware of innovation, yes. of, of new ideas, of creativity. Mm. It's incredible. And it's not just the new guys who are doing this. 
I mean, look, look at Robertson Winery, look at Van Leuveren, wine in a can, yes. wine of lower alcohol, wine of no alcohol. Yes. And, and actually, I taste wines like that. And they're not rubbish. You'd think that who would want to drink them? Yes. They're actually made to reduce the alcohol, but keep the flavor. Yes. This is just brilliant winemaking. Yeah. And, and there's a niche for it. There's a, there's a place for it in the market. And, and so it keeps the innovation keeps coming. Yes. And I think that's part of the South African mentality, thinking how to do things differently, not just being complacent. And I think also with the opening up of, um, the industry along with democracy in 1994, a lot of the winemakers, um, were able to travel more than they ever had before. Yes. And I think they've, a lot of the kids I've noticed do vintages in Napa. They do vintages in Spain, France, Australia. So they're bringing back a lot of innovation from around the world. We're also Definitely. buying into a lot of new technology. And I think for many years we were stuck in the same old dogged ways in the wine industry. So now there's lots of people putting wine into foodra and those big eggs and yes. doing all kinds yes. of different yeah. things with them, aren't they? But it's, you see, it's going back to old-fashioned winemaking, isn't it? Going back to concrete tanks and things because it's all about the quality and not trying to overwork the grapes yes. and not trying to overmake the wine. Yes. Just you know, let it express itself. What is also not common knowledge is how many um, – Winemakers from other countries come here to work vintages. Okay, tell us. I mean, Giles, I don't even know that. Got foreigners in his cellar all the time. Yes, they come and work vintages here. So when their vintage is not happening, they come here, and there's a lot of that going on, and that's also an exchange of ideas, isn't it? Yes, it's fantastic. There's a lot of there's a lot of new. Um, well, I suppose they're not new. You and I have been around long enough to know that it's just reinventing the old, but the youngsters think it's new, so we'll leave them in that bliss. But Sinso and Grenache <laughs> and all those grape varieties that we used to drink when we were at university or, or early working days or whatever, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a reincarnation of all of those at the moment, isn't there? Yes, and you see what what has been learnt because also in the time uh, in the last twenty years we've learnt about how important vineyards are. Yes. So I think since so, for example, they realise the older the vines, the smaller the production, the better the quality. Yes. Uses Cinso from a vineyard over a hundred years old in Franschhoek. I know it's nice. Duncan Savage got five stars for his Cinso in this latest Platagai. Yes. We're not talking about easy drinking, nothing quaffing kind of brine wines here. We're talking about something seriously good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I think, I think that there's a lot of excitement in the industry and I think it's up to all of us to convey that excitement to the rest of the country, to the rest of the planet, quite frankly, because we've got wines that offer such good value for money. They really, really do offer good value for money on a, on an international scale. Um, mm. so I think we all, we all have a duty of care to, to make sure that the message gets out about all of those wines. Christine, if I were to say to you, and I know this is awful, and I know that it's dropping you in the SH1T. 
But I want you to give my listeners a couple of recommendations for their Christmas table or their festive season. If they're not doing Christmas, they're on holiday because it's Christmas holidays. So whichever way we wriggle and squirm, it's a Christmassy something. What would you suggest with, with a lovely Christmas lunch? Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to be unusual because these are both two producers I got for the first time for this 2022 platter guide. One is Black Elephant Vintners. Yes. And I'd never heard of them. You know, you probably had because you've been in the Black retail Elephant. business. I think that it used to belong. I think Tokyo Sequoia was an was a um a shareholder at Black Elephant. Uh, okay. Because it's now it's got three owners. Uh, a guy called Swart, which is the black. Mm. Um a, a man of color whose name means elephant in his home language. Okay. And and then the winemaker, which is the vintner. So it's Black Elephant Vintners. Oh, fantastic. And they have the most charming labels. This is the kind of thing that would be part of the conversation at the table because yes. it's not just about what's inside the bottle. Yeah. It's about what's outside the bottle. And the whole story so, that so, goes with it as well, I'm sure. And the whole story that goes with it. So, so my recommendation is called um, Three Men in a Tub – with a rubber duck. <laughs> As opposed to a rubber duck. That is the dub. name of the wine. Yes. Okay. It's, it's a red and it's absolutely charming. I mean, it, it, it's a beautiful wine anyway. I rated it highly. But just for the sheer conversation of, of looking at that label and fun. Fun has, this is not just traditional stuff. Fun has come into the wine yeah, industry. Brilliant. So is the label a picture of three men in a tub? It absolutely is. It's a line drawing. And one's even got a bath hat on it. <laughs> it's the, the three men in a tub. And the rubber duck is on the back of the label, a cutout oh, at the back of the label. It is too charming for oh, words. That's fantastic. So that's... they must go and look for it. So what is inside the bottle? Do we know or is that just left to the imagination? No, it sure is, I think. It's a red, definitely. And, and black elephant. Oh, no. Here we go. Cab, cab, Merlot, Ruby cab. Okay. Pinotaz, Shiraz, Pinot Noir. Oh, my God. Well, there, no, goes that's that, there goes that innovation that we were speaking about. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. It's about what you're drinking, you know. Absolutely. So I suppose it's very voluptuous and juicy with all those different varieties in it. And completely drinkable. It's a 2019 vintage, but it's completely drinkable now and will age well. So we're doing three So a little men, bit of innovation here. Three men in a tub with a rubber duck. I love that. And... And yeah, can exactly. I press you for a white wine? Well, yes, you can. And, and here I'm going to be doing a sales pitch. I, I don't think we drink enough of our sweet wines. Oh, good. And girl. so my recommendation, my recommendation of the white would be Duncan Savage's straw wine, oh. which is called Not Tonight Josephine. I know. Isn't it gorgeous? It's absolutely gorgeous. And that could go. With the pudding. I mean, Christmas has always had to, got to have pudding, has and to. that would go beautifully with it. And it would also go beautifully with cheese if we wanted a cheese platter. But I've got this thing exactly. about – I've got this huge thing about South African sticky wines because I just think if you compare our sticky wine to any sticky wine from anywhere else in the world, you are paying a fortune – for a bottle of when and when we say sticky wine, guys, it's a normally a noble late harvest or a straw wine yes. or a natural sweet yes. wine. Um, you pay fortunes for them everywhere else in the world, and we make of the highest quality in the world for yes. 
Literally next to no money if you think of what, what it is. So Duncan, of course, he's everybody's darling. Darling Duncan. And he's got a knot tonight, Josephine. Does he make it out of Shannon or is it a Simeon? I think it was Shannon. I can't remember because mm, I, I don't have Shannon the book. Well. I can't remember. I don't have yeah. it in front of me, but I think Duncan makes his straw out of Shannon. And of course we love we love the name. So we've got, as always, from, from Christine Rudman, something completely different. Three men in a tub, rub-a-dub-dub, and <laughs> we've got Not Tonight, Josephine. So I think that's absolutely brilliant selection for Christmas. Christine, are you going away or are you staying at home in Cape Town for Christmas? Well, I, I think the Cape is the most beautiful place in the whole world to be living, so I'm yes. staying here. Good girl. I know you just... You fly our flag with such unbelievable class and style always. You are an amazing addition to the wine industry. And from me and all the rest of us, a great big vote of thanks and confidence to you for all that you do for us. You really are a star. So thank you for that. And thank you for thank joining you, me on Carrie's Corner on the Biz News Power Hour. It's been an absolute treat. We'll turn this into a podcast as well so that anybody who wants to can go and have a look and go back on what you have to say about the South African wine industry. Great pleasure.